passage and talk about the biblical principle of no condemnation, no condemnation. When I was in uh, elementary school, right here in Doctor's Inlet actually, um, sometimes I would get in trouble at school. Not often, I would say, but sometimes I would do something that would get, in, get me in trouble with the teacher. And um, she would write a note to my parents. And she would give it to me and say, take this home. Then she would say, to make sure you turn it in your parents, I want one of your parents to sign it and you bring it back to me tomorrow. Well, I would live the rest of the day with this weight hanging over my head. Because I knew when I got home and handed mom, and I gave it to mom rather than dad, <clears throat> mom had some grace, dad had none. So I would give it to mom say, the teacher told me to give you this note. The point is I had to live with that, um, that weight, that judgment that was coming. And I knew there would be judgment. I knew there would be some consequence for my uh, transgressions. And so I would go throughout the day with this thing on my mind, with this thing on my heart, you know, and took all the joy out of recess time, took all the joy out of, took all the joy out of everything and uh, until it was over with. You know, you go home and you, you get your punishment and you, and you go back and you give the note back and it's over. And just as a side note, I would suggest, and you school teachers could probably affirm this, that our school system and our, our behavior in school would be much different if our teachers and parents worked together rather than against one another. Uh, because I knew if I got in trouble at school, Mom wasn't going to really hear my side of the story. I was going to get in trouble at home. So, um, but the, the point is, there was this condemnation, uh, this judgment that hung over my head. And I use that as an illustration to say that the Bible tells us the same thing about our relationship with God and, and, about, and about sin. There are three reasons that God uh, is justified, if you will, in condemning us. There are three Three categories, if you will. And the first one is this. We are, we are born with Adam's guilt. Okay? Adam was the first man to sin. And his failure, his uh, going into sin, his choice to disobey God, that guilt was passed down to us. We're all born guilty before God because of Adam's transgression. You say, well, uh, that's not fair. Well, it is because we're born after him. We're of his seed and so we are in humanity, and he's the head of humanity and represents us all, and so pass the guilt to us. Secondly, we have a sin nature, meaning it is our nature uh, to be rebellious, to do our own thing, to want to do life our way. Uh, and we, and in, that, in that rebelliousness, we sin against God, which brings up the third thing. We've all chosen to disobey God. We have made the conscious choice to do what God said not to do, well, we've made the conscious choice to not do what he said to do. So there are sins of commission and sins of omission. So in all three of those areas, we are absolutely guilty before God. And because of that, the Bible says the wage of the sin is death. And so we, for those who are without Christ, listen very carefully. And this message is kind of technical today, so you need to, you need to pay attention. We live life, for those who are lost, they live life with this perpetual weight over their head. This condemnation of God, this impending judgment might come in 10 years, 
might come in 20 years, might come in 40 years, they might live to be 80, 90, 100 years old, but it's coming. You understand what I'm saying? The, ju- the condemnation is there, the judgment of God is there, and it can't be avoided. But the good news is, there's a Savior. And God tells us in his word that when we come to Jesus Christ, he, he removes that condemnation. Now, what's the difference? We can live life rebellious against God. If you're, if you're here or you're watching online or you watch this video later and you're, you've never been saved, then you're living with the judgment of God over your head. You're living with God's condemnation over your head, over your sin. But if you come to Jesus Christ and you will surrender your heart and confess your sin and ask Jesus to forgive you, God will forgive all your sin. Removed from your life. And that's liberating. Because then you can live life in the freeness and the peace of Jesus Christ, knowing that however many years you have here or however long God lets you live here, when you die, you're not facing God's judgment. Now listen, I would much rather live in the peace and the, and, and the, and the comfort of knowing Jesus Christ and to live life knowing that there's this judgment coming. And you say, well, you know, not everybody, you know, pastor, not everybody believes that. And someone might say to me, oh, no, I don't believe in God. Listen, it doesn't matter. The judgment is coming. And I'm going to read you a whatever you want to say. But with this knowledge in your heart and in the back of your mind there's a listen Paul this this chapter chapter 8 of Romans is magnificent and we're just going to deal with like four verses and look in Galatians for just a minute look at verse 1 as Paul talks about the good news of forgiveness and what it, what it means to not have the condemnation of God. He said, there is therefore now no condemnation uh, to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, he says there is therefore now, the therefore is connected to something. And you should always ask yourself when you read the Bible, what's the therefore, therefore, right? So what, what, is, what is he pointing to? Well, he's actually in this verse pointing to the entire seven chapters before this. Because you know what the seven chapters before chapter eight are all about? justification by grace apart from works in other words you come to jesus christ by faith you confess your sin and god forgives you regardless of works or effort or anything on our part it's all by faith and he says for those who are saved by faith he says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus no condemnation no fear of judgment no 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 fear or weight that God is going to hold us accountable for something when we meet him one day. Now, how is it that we don't have condemnation? It's in Jesus Christ. You see that? I mean, it's, 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 it's foundational to our faith, but it's absolutely essential that we understand this. In Jesus Christ, we are without condemnation. In Jesus Christ, we are without God's judgment. Amen. Now, condemnation has to do with the punishment for our sin. And you understand that when that condemnation is removed, there is no punishment for our sin. You say, well, why is that? Because in Jesus Christ, your sin's removed. It's erased from the account. It's no longer on your debit. You say, how could that be? In Jesus Christ, because Jesus took your sin. Jesus came here as a human being, lived a sinless life. You see, we can't live in perfect obedience to God no matter how hard we try. And I'm going to show you in just a minute, if you're saved, you got the Holy Spirit living in you and you still mess it up. And so do I, okay? 
I mean, we still have this human nature in us that really makes it difficult, okay? But get this, Jesus came here, took on human flesh, incarnate, God as man, and never sinned. He lived a perfect life. He lived in perfect obedience to the Father. And so when he went to the cross, watch this, he, he was a holy sacrifice before God, the Lamb of God, who took the sin of the world on himself. He took your sin and mine on himself and died for it, paid for it, because the wages of sin is death. So when we come to God by faith and we say, listen, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to forgive me and save me, forgive my sin and save my soul, God the Father can pardon us, wipe the slate clean, because Jesus already paid the debt. And he can remove our sin from the account. Listen, that's how, that's how we live a life with no condemnation before God. You say, well, pastor, you know, sometimes, sometimes I still fail after I'm saved. Yes, we do. But there's still no condemnation. Why? Because every time we fail, Jesus says, I got that covered. Every time we fail, Jesus said, no, I already paid for that. I already paid for all the sins he or she's going to commit the rest of their lives. God already paid for it. So there is no condemnation. Now, what does that get for us today in life? What, how does that affect us in our daily walk, you know, or the shoe leather Christian life? Well, I don't know about you, but it gives me incredible peace to know that my, that my account is settled and, and I'm never at enmity with God anymore. Now, yes, I sin, and yes, I fail, and the Holy Spirit convicts me, and I confess it and get right back on track. But God is, listen, God's not angry with me over my sin anymore. The Bible said God is angry with the wicked every day. Angry with the wicked every day. There was a time in my life before I was saved when God was not happy with me. Why? Because I was sinning. I was breaking his law. I had condemnation over me. But in Jesus Christ, there's no more guilt. There's no, listen, there's no indictment. There's no warrant against me. There's no judgment in the court of God because I've been set free in Jesus Christ. Man, that'll give you incredible peace. That'll give you incredible confidence to live life. Listen, I, I have met Christians, and let me just say this. I've met people who have trusted Jesus, and they struggle with the security of their salvation. And they'll ask me, you know, Pastor, man, I know I trusted Jesus, but I, how can I know I'm saved? How can I know? Listen to me very carefully. The primary reason you can know you're saved is because God says you are. Your feet, listen, my feelings, I'll, you know, here, I'll turn my collar around and we'll do some confession here, okay? You take my confession. I shouldn't do that, but... There are days that I might not feel very saved. You ever have those days? I mean, if I'm just going by human emotion, right? If I'm just going by human feelings, you know, I might, I, I might do something that doesn't make me feel very saved. You've probably been there too. But you know what I know? The more I study the Bible, it doesn't matter how I feel. My feelings don't determine reality. My feelings don't affect what God has declared to be true. So the, the, the primary reason you can know that there's no condemnation against you is because God said so. And secondly, the Holy Spirit who lives in you bears witness and testimony to you that you're a child of God and his power at work in your life. And you'll see that in just a moment. Now watch this. No condemnation does not mean no accusation. Think about that for a moment. No condemnation does not mean no accusation. When I fail, Satan accuses me. When I fail, my own, listen, my own spirit accuses me, right? Because I know better. My mind accuses me when I fail. Ever have, you know, you fail and you go, 
I knew better before I did that, right? I knew better before I said that. I knew I didn't want to do that, but I did it. I think Paul talks about that, right? The things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. Boy, I can relate. If you can't relate, you're not telling the truth, okay? We, we can relate to that, right? But listen, no condemnation doesn't mean no accusation. I, I accuse myself. And, and, and listen, the Bible says in, in Revelation 12.10 that, that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He's before God accusing us all the time. And here's the sad truth. We give him plenty of ammunition, don't we? I mean, we give him plenty of reasons to say to God, how could you save that bunch of people? How could you save a person like him or her? How could you save them? Look at how they live. Look at their failures. Look how weak they are. Look how little they read their Bible. They don't even pray. God, they don't care anything about you. Look at them. And you know what Jesus answers? Yeah, but I saved them. That's it. He can make all the accusations he wants because you said, hey, he's saved. He's redeemed. She's saved. She's redeemed. There's, there's no condemnation against him. You can make all, these accu all the accusations you want. There's no condemnation. There's no judgment. There's no indictment. You can't bring them into this court because we've already set them free. And it's pretty good because there's no higher court than God. That's it. Supreme Court, nobody else got anything on God. God has the last word. And so no condemnation doesn't mean no accusation. I mean, Satan condemns us all the time, uh, you know, accuses us all the time, but he can't condemn us. That's why there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen very carefully here. And I, and I hope everybody here this morning is saved. If you're not, you need to listen to this. The Bible says that to live outside of Christ is to live in fear. It is to live in anxiousness and uneasiness. Now, people will, lost people will try to cover up that fear and that anxiousness with more sin. They'll try to dull it with alcohol and drugs, and they'll try to dull it with pleasures of the, of the flesh. They'll try, to, they'll try to make that conviction go away by indulging in sin more, which just makes the situation worse. The Bible says this in Hebrews 10, 26, and 27. For if we sin willfully, meaning we make the choice to continue to pursue sin, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer or remains no longer a sacrifice for sin. Now, what does that mean? It means that when we understand by the conviction of God that we're wrong and that we're sinful and that we need to be saved, and we choose to say no to God and to pursue sin anyway, there's no more sacrifice to help us. Why? Because Jesus is it. If you, if you turn away from Jesus Christ, there's nothing else that can help you. You can't drink enough to make yourself better. You can't use enough drugs, indulge in enough pleasures of the flesh, materialism, power, name, fame, whatever it is. You can't have enough to fill that emptiness in your heart. Only Jesus can do that. And the world will seek everything else to make them happy. The world will turn away from Jesus and seek all the pleasures of the flesh, which ends up in death. So the writer of Hebrews said, for if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice of sin. Listen, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. The Bible says that those who reject Jesus Christ know there's a judgment day coming. They know. A certain fearful expectation. Listen very carefully. You might not think so and you might want to say it's not true, but you're going to stand in front of God one day going to happen doesn't care how much you don't want it to happen doesn't matter you're going to stand in front of god one day today tomorrow next week 50 years from now doesn't matter you're going to stand in front of god one day and if you don't know jesus christ there is condemnation and you're going to have to answer for it 
Paul said there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You need to come to Jesus while you have opportunity. Now, how is it that this happens? In verses 2 to 4, Paul explains it in great detail, and I want us to spend a few minutes on it. Look at verses 2 to 4 of Romans 8. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4. That the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There is a lot of, there's a lot of stuff in those three verses. And to understand them, we need to understand two important terms. And, and I told you, this is a little... You need to put on your thinking cap. Listen to me very carefully. In this verse, you see two phrases, flesh and spirit. Flesh, Paul uses in, in, in two or three different contexts in the Bible, and he uses it in a couple of contexts here, and I want you to understand it. Flesh is the Greek word sarx, S-A-R-X. It means in its most literal sense, the body, human flesh and blood. So there are places in the Bible where the word sarx is used in the Greek that means the body. When Paul talks about his brethren after the flesh, Hebrews who are born after Abraham, he's talking about their heritage, their genealogy. So he's talking about their literal body, their, their blood, who they are. But many times when, when Paul talks about the flesh, he's not talking about the literal human body. He uses a, a phrase in Sarki, which means in the flesh, which he's talking about human nature. He's talking about our fleshliness, who we are in Adam. Now, when he talks about flesh and the, and the idea of our human nature, what he's saying is our weaknesses of our human nature that's susceptible to sin, and we all have it. We live in the flesh in this body, in this physical body after we're saved, and we also still have our sin nature with us after we're saved. And the Bible says there's this battle going on all the time between our, our fleshliness, our humanness, our, our atomic nature that likes sin. Have you ever wondered to yourself, why is it I still like sin after I'm saved? Man, I love Jesus, and I love what Jesus loves, and I love his word, and I love God, and I want his kingdom to come, and I love everything that God's told me, and yet every time I turn around, I'm attracted to the things in the world. Why in the world is that? Well, because we're in the world. Because we have a fleshly human nature. And what Paul's saying here is he says that human nature is with us until we get our new resurrection body. And that human nature is a pain. That, that humanness is a real pain. Because it's attracted to everything in the world that God says is wrong. Why? Because it's after the Adam nature. And so in this context, what Paul's saying is he says in this verse, we have, we have our humanness, our, our atomic nature, our sinful human nature, and then we have the spirit. Now, spirit is the word pneumos. And many times it's the word wind. And it's referred to, often refer, used to refer to the Holy Spirit. Now, when it's used in this literal sense of pneumos, it means wind, like the wind blowing outside. And it really has to do with the power of the wind, meaning the wind can blow the trees and you see them move and it can move things. Matter of fact, we get our English word pneumatic from it. If you have pneumatic tools, you have air tools and the air spins the tool and empowers the tool. It's the same idea, okay? So pneumos, and it speaks to spirit, meaning the wind blows. And it's often used to feel the wind filling the sails of a ship and moving it forward. So it's the wind and the power and the force that you see when it does something. Now what the Bible does and what, what God 
the Holy Spirit led the writers to do was use that same word to speak of him, to speak of the Holy Spirit. And here's how it's connected. The Holy Spirit is the power of God in us. He's the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He is God. And when we get saved, he lives in us. And when the, when the Bible speaks of the Spirit of God, it means the power of God at work in us. Much as the wind would fill the sails of a ship and move the ship through the water, watch this. So the Holy Spirit fills us and moves us in his power to serve God and to live for God. Isn't that marvelous? Isn't that wonderful? Uh, the Greek language is, is marvelous, by the way, because it has so descriptive. And so what he's saying here in, this, in these three verses is that there is, there is the flesh, not just the human body, but there is the fleshliness about us, our human nature that is bent to sin. And then there is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit who lives in us, who's the power that moves us to obey God. And he says those two fight all the time. They're always in conflict. They're always in struggle with one another. Is this not true for you? I'm going through my day, and I come into a situation, and the Holy Spirit says, don't do that, do this. Whatever it is, pick one. But in my flesh, my flesh is like, give it to them, man. You know, don't, no, man, just, you know, flash out, you know, respond. You know, you know how, you know what you want to say? Let it fly. You'll feel better. That's what my flesh says. Well, no, it's a lie, because if I do that, then I feel bad after, right? Satan's always a liar. But the point is the struggle is very real. The, 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 the battle is there all day long. It can start in the morning in your prayer time. You get up. And the first thing is you don't want to get up when you're supposed to get up, right? I mean, let's just be honest. I get up, you know, I'm, I've my whole life been a fairly early riser, especially in the military. But you know what? When you know you don't have to get up, isn't there that little voice in the back of your head that says, you know, you don't have to get up today. But then you know, yeah, I do. I need to go pray, and I need to, I need to, I need to go in my office. But your flesh, your humanness goes, no, man, let's sleep. I mean, you ain't even got out of bed yet, and the battle's on, right? I mean, your body, your body's going, you know, let's sleep, and then the Holy Spirit's going, no, you need, you'd be better off if you come in and pray and spend some time with me. And so the the flesh, man, the battle, the battle is on. Well, that's what Paul's saying here. Now look again at what he says in verses two to four with that with that understanding in mind. He said, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. He's saying that spirit in, in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit in me, has set me free from the dominance of the law of sin, which is my flesh, which is where it is. The Holy Spirit gives us victory over that. Now watch. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. Now, verse 4 is it. For the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, according to our humanness, and walk means obeying it and doing those things, but we walk and live in accordance with the Spirit. That's how we fulfill the law. Man, it's beautiful. Paul said, look, this is how we have the victory. Now, notice the difference that he describes here. There is the law of sin, the law of sin. That's everything to do with, our, with humanity and its lostness. It is, it is the law of sin that reigns in our body that we want to do the thing that God says not to do and avoid doing the thing that he said to do. That's what is in us. And then there's the law of the Spirit. The law of the Spirit says, hey, let me lead you to holiness. Let me lead you to righteousness. Let me lead you to obedience to God's word. Now watch this. This even gets more complicated. You ready? You say, well, how... How does the spirit went out over my flesh or how does my flesh went out over my spirit? It's the one you choose. It's the one you choose. 
Because see, in the end of the day, the Holy Spirit's not going to put your arm behind your back and twist it and go, you got to do what I tell you or I'm going to break your arm. He's not going to do that. Why? Because God loves you. And he won't, listen, God wants you to love him enough to choose to listen to what he tells you. That's what God wants. But we fail a lot doing that because then sometimes we just choose to do what the flesh wants to do instead of doing what God wants to do. And that's when we fail. But listen, the law of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, wants to conform us to the image of Christ. He wants us to obey God and not obey our temptations. And that's why the conviction is so strong in our hearts when we get into sin. Because the Holy Spirit is lovingly wooing us and lovingly calling us and drawing on our hearts saying, don't go down that path because it's just going to hurt you. Don't go down that path because it's going to be bad for you. Don't go down that path. Don't do that. Do what honors God. The Holy Spirit's purpose is to conform us to the image of Christ. We'll never be perfect in this life. Listen to me. It's a hard thing, but we'll never be perfect in this life. Had a guy one time who was saved, said he was saved, and he said to me, he said, I got saved and I don't want to ever sin anymore. And I was a teenager, I was a kid, and that confused me because I was saved and I know, I know what I did sometimes. And so, you know, I was scratching my head thinking, well, how is it you... How is it you don't sin anymore? He was a grown man. I was a kid. He goes, oh, no, man, God forgave all my sin, and the Holy Spirit listened to me, and I just don't sin anymore. I don't do anything but righteousness. Well, I knew, his, I knew where he lived, and I saw his wife every now and then. Nah, he wasn't telling the truth, see, because I heard, I could hear them sometimes from where they lived, so he wasn't telling the truth. Listen, we, we'll never be perfect in this life. You say, well, then, then what should we be doing then? Well, that's a good question, listen. The Christian life should never be characterized by habitual sin. That's just not how God saved us to be. And the Christian who is desiring the power of the Spirit to set them free from sin won't have a habitual life of sin. Even though we can't be perfect, our life should be marked, should be marked and characterized by a habitual obedience to God, and failure should be the exception. You say, well, I fail every day. Yeah, but is it 90% of your life walking with Jesus and 10% failure? Is it 50-50? Or is it, man, I'm living like I want to and, you know, I give God 10% on Sunday like I do my tithe. Okay, well, that, that isn't what God's calling you to do, all right? The, 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 the standards should be we progressively move toward obedience and holiness all the time, and the failure should be the exception. Now, listen to this. Listen. The more that is the desire of our heart, there's a combination here, watch. The more that I really want to obey God, I don't want to sin, and I don't want to sin. And the more time I spend in his word, and the more time I pray, the more the power of the Holy Spirit's released in my life, and he keeps me from doing that. He keeps me from going down those roads. You know, in, in Jesus' model prayer in there, he says, Lord, deliver us from temptation. You know, what's Jesus saying? Deliver us this day from the things that we're going to face that will cause us to fail. Man, I pray that in the morning. God, today I will fail. No doubt about it. Today I'm going to think something wrong. I'm going to say something wrong. I'm going to respond wrong to somebody. Well, God, how about, how about cut that off before I get there? How about stop that before it happens or before I get in that situation? That's what Paul's saying right here, the law of sin and the law of grace. Now, let me show you a couple more things real quick. He says here, what the law could not do, the Spirit's done for us. What does it mean, what the law could not do? 
the law of God in the Old Testament, not the ceremonial law now of the things that all the Jews did, but the, but the moral law, the law that reflects God's character is perfect. It's holy. There's nothing wrong with the law of God. You say, well, man, nobody can measure up to that. Well, it isn't the law's problem. Listen to me. There's nothing wrong with the law. Where's the problem? Right here. Okay. The law is weak, not because there's something wrong with it, but it can't produce perfection or sinlessness because of our weakness, because of our flesh, our human nature. Okay. In fact, you say if the law can't save anybody, which it never, never was designed to save anybody, what's the purpose of the law? To show us that we're lost. When you see the law of God, and you see God's standard as perfection, and then we look at ourselves, what's the only conclusion we can come to? Man, I'm messed up. And I am never going to get up there, right? I'm, ne I'm never going to achieve that. And then comes the good news of the gospel. Well, you know what? You're right. Since you can't get there, God says to us, and since you'll never reach that, I'm going to do it for you. How about that? I'll just send my son to die on the cross. You come and trust him by faith, and I'll move you up there when I have nothing to do with you. See, that's how it works. So the law doesn't save us. It shows us that we, we need to be saved. And he did that when he says here that Jesus came in the form or likeliness uh, of sinful man. Not in sin, but looking like us without sin. The same human body, the same human life, the same uh, humanity, yet apart from sin. And what we have in Jesus is in verse 4, which is wonderful, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. The righteous requirement of the law is filled in us by the Spirit for those who walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Now, the righteousness of the law is not fulfilled in us when we're walking in the flesh, but it's fulfilled in us when we walk in the Spirit and He conforms us to the image of Christ. In our last five minutes, let me show you what the two look like. You say, boy, this is a lot of theoretical stuff. No, it ain't theory. It's shoe leather. Trust me. Look at Galatians chapter 5. Turn over there real quick. And I won't spend too much time on this if I can help it, but I want to show you something. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, and he wrote this letter to the church in Galatia. Watch what he says right here. It's wonderful. Galatians 5, 17. For the flesh, now we know what that is because we just studied it. It is our, our lost humanity, okay, our lost human nature, our sinful nature. For the flesh, our, our sin nature, lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another so that you cannot, uh, so that you do not do the things you wish. Now what Paul's saying is, man, you get the same struggle I have. You know, my flesh battles against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and I, and I can never do all that I want to do, which Paul would say sinlessness or perfection. There's this battle that goes on every day, and our choice has a lot to do with it. Now, look very quickly at verse 18. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. That's marvelous. If we're surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit, we're not under this condemning effect of the law. The Holy Spirit's helping us to do the law. He's fulfilling in us all the purpose of the law and all, the, all that. And you say, well, what do these two natures look like? Well, Paul didn't leave us any, any doubt here. Look at verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. The works of a fallen human sin nature are evident, and he gives a list, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness. Those are sins of the flesh. They're, they're sexual sins. And what is he saying there? He said, if, somebody, if, if somebody's committed one of these sins, are they done? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that a, a habitual lifestyle given over to these kinds of sins is indicative of a person who's living in the flesh. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's pretty self-evident, isn't it? 
A person who's given over to those sins, a person who has no restriction about those sins, they just give themselves to any kind of immorality, they're given evidence that they're not being led by the Spirit, but rather they're being led by their fleshliness. Now, look at the next list, okay? Idolatry and sorcery. Those are religious sins. Idolatry is worshiping anything other than God. A person who's given over to their flesh, they're, they're following the world. They're finding all their worship and all their God stuff in the world, whatever it might be. And, and sorcery is the word pharmacy. We get pharmacy from that word, which means drugs, abusive substances, always was connected in the Old Testament with false worship. So Paul's simply saying, hey, if you see a person's lifestyle and they're giving themselves over to these kinds of sins, it's giving evidence to you that they're living in the flesh. They're not living in the spirit. Now look at the rest of it. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, self-ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, Paul's saying a person who's given over to that kind of stuff perpetually, with no conviction, with no confession, gives evidence that they're in the flesh and they're not even saved. That's what I said. They say, well, you know, I don't, you know, I don't like that. You know, saying, listen, take it up with God. He just said right here, if a person is given over to that lifestyle in their fleshliness with no conviction of the Spirit, they give an indication they're not saved. Why? Because unless you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you're not saved. Simple as that. Now look at the difference. Look at verse 22. That was the flesh. Now here's the Spirit. What does the Spirit produce? Sure looks different from that other list. Look at this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, which is moral goodness, opposite of all that other stuff, faithfulness, which means trustworthy, gentleness means meekness, self-control, restraint. Against such there is no law. What a difference, right? What a difference. The first list, flesh. Second list, spirit. Leaves one question. Which one of those characterizes your life? Not that you fail, not that you might commit one of those sins of the flesh, because we all do. Who hadn't had an anger outburst or a sinful moral thought or, or some attitude? I mean, who hadn't done those things? And who doesn't still struggle with that? No, but what's the pattern of your life? What is the norm of your life? Is it, is it the second list, the fruit of the Spirit? Last thing, listen to this. A saved man or woman, the Holy Spirit will produce some level of fruit in them. Some level. Now listen, God wants much fruit. We understand, right? God wants much fruit. God wants it to be overly abundant that who you are. But maybe you're not at the much fruit level. Okay? But if you're saved, God, the Holy Spirit will produce some level of fruit in you. If you see no, listen to me, if you see no spiritual fruit in your life, no conviction over sin, no, no conviction for self-restraint, no conviction for meekness or moral purity, no conviction over the fruit of the Spirit, you really need to check your salvation. Because if the Holy Spirit's not living in you, convicting you, the Bible says if you don't have the Spirit, you're not saved. You need to really check yourself. Take inventory. Let me close this. No condemnation. Man, I sure hated carrying them notes home to mom and dad. I hated it. But you know what? I ain't never carrying a note to heaven. You know why? 
because Jesus already took care of it. Not carrying no notes to heaven, have to stand in front of God, give an account for all my sin, and there's plenty. Why? Because Jesus already took care of it. Are you living with condemnation over your life, or are you living in freedom? You're living in peace. You can have Jesus today. Would you come to him? Would you ask him to forgive you? Would you let him pay for your sin so there'll be no condemnation in your life? Would you do it right now? Let's pray. God, thank you for a grace that is just beyond really uh, human comprehension. Lord, we can talk about it and we can understand it and we can know what you did. And God, we believe you. But God, that you, the creator of the universe, would do that is amazing. That God, you would love us who are so sinful and so filled with the flesh and selfishness and pride. And God, so connected to this world that you would want to save us out of this world and set us free. God, maybe there's somebody this morning under the hearing of your word, maybe in this place, in the balcony, God may be watching online right now. God, may they just bow their heart right now and say, oh God, I know I'm under your judgment because of my sin and I'm guilty, but God set me free. Lord, save me, forgive my sin. Holy Spirit, come live in me and be the direction of my life. Be the wind that fills my sails and move me in the direction of Christ-likeness. Bless the invitation time in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. If I can pray with you or help you, you come. I'll be glad to pray with you this morning. Oh.